I suppose it would have been probably about 1969, again, early part of some time during the year 1969. And um, it was a very important year for me on many levels. It was a crisis of, of faith in terms of what to believe, what the truth was, and how to arrive at some kind of confidence with regards to what was true. For some reason during that period of, during that year, I had this intense desire to know what the truth was. I had become, uh, even without regard to the kind of training I'd had as a child, and some experiences that were really quite deep, several experiences that were very meaningful, but it had gotten to a place where I had doubted the legitimacy of the Christian faith and had no real confidence and had no basis of, of, of belief as an adult. And I wanted to know what the truth was. And it was during that year that I was um, began to be introduced to the area of Bible prophecy. And for some reason, and it seems strange to reflect on this now, but it's, for some reason... I had no real acquaintance with Bible prophecy. Even as a child growing up, I had not been really introduced to it. So many of, and in fact, the entire concept really to me was, was new, Bible prophecy. I thought this morning what I would do is do something very simple. This time of year, of course, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus and there are various predictions made in the Old Testament with, with regard to the coming of Messiah. And the Bible I brought with me today has uh, all these uh, enumerated and listed. And this was a Bible that was given to me many years ago. And I, I brought it with me today because it really, um, I mean, this is information that is so readily available. It's just there. It's always been there. This information is so profound. And it's a shame that there are so many people struggling, individuals are struggling with what to believe. And you might say a, a foundation for belief. It's just a tragedy. Because to be honest with you, from where I stand now, having spent time in all these different areas during my lifetime, really I would have been described as agnostic at that time. So having spent some time in all those different areas and hearing all these accounts of of young people growing up in church and and um, and being exposed to the gospel and really some wonderful Bible teaching and uh, l examples of very credible people around them and then go off to a perhaps a uh, secular university someplace in North America and come away from that having really no confidence in faith and having those things that they believed as a child taken away from them because it is presented that there's no foundation for this is all just some kind of wishful thinking and there's no foundation for it. And it's such a shame, it's such a tragedy because to be honest with you, if anybody is sticking their heads in the sand and choosing not to believe based on the evidence, it is the agnostic and the atheist and the, and, and the skeptic. There's no question. I'm just trying to speak honestly, as honestly as I can. I want to say that the evidence for the Christian faith and the reality of these things that we talk about and we believe is so uh, 
so substantial that anyone with a real desire to know the truth objectively would be convinced. It, it would be impossible not to be convinced. But I think the tragedy, the tragedy is that many are raised and, and spend their lifetime, and as was true in my case, not really know these things, not really have them presented. I'm not faulting necessarily. It's just there's something that's so tragic about that. So let me begin with something here this, this morning with you. I have, a, I, I have a, the list of prophecies. This is basically a list of prophecies of the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And many of these are messianic prophecies, the ones that I'll look at with you this morning, have it to do with the Messiah, the coming of Messiah. And, of course, the evidence is that the Messiah is Jesus. He has come. And the evidence is all here for anyone who would want to open their minds and look at it objectively. This begins on Bible prophecy, and this Bible I have brought with me on general predictions from the Old Testament, just general predictions. For example, uh, just I'll just read a couple here. Solomon's kingdom would be divided. That was prophetic at the time it was announced or first stated. hadn't happened. Um, I'm just going to randomly read. Ahab, King Ahab, his blood would be shed in the same spot as Naboth's, who had the vineyard. You see, his blood would be shed in the same spot. That's exactly what would happen. So it has the prophecy when it was given, and it has the place in the Scripture where it was fulfilled. Now, these are all Old Testament prophecies. Judah to be ravaged by the Assyrians. It's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 17. It is fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter 18. So there are 107 of these specific predictions in the Old Testament that were general predictions. General predictions. What I'd spend some time this morning on is the Messianic prophecies. And I have so many here that I didn't specifically kind of average them out. And it averages out to about in excess of 130, 130 prophecies in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in the New Testament. And think of all the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. It's just astonishing. It's just, it's just, if you want something to feed your mind and to give you confidence in a belief, then this is what this does. This is what this does. That's what it has done for me, and that's what it has done for countless uh, scores, hundreds and thousands of others. It has done that. But sadly, there are many who have not really been able to take and eat this and receive this into themselves so as to be informed by it. And that's really tragic. There was a, you know, there's this whole idea of uh, some people would say, well, just uh, kind of by chance. This, uh, these were satisfied or fulfilled by chance. For example, the prophecy that Jesus or the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, it just happened to be that way that he was born in Bethlehem, you see. So there are those who have gone into this um, kind of mathematically or scientifically and have looked at the fulfillment of Bible prophecy having to do with the Messiah in terms of probability and, and chance. And for example, uh, they, they have said that 
just taking eight of the prophecies, eight specific prophecies from the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. Now, the idea is that if you were to take ten coins, let's say ten, uh, ten dimes, and put them in a pot, ten dimes, put them in a pot, and mark one of them, just mark one of them with a little mark on it, and then have somebody just randomly reach into the pot and pick out a dime. So the chances of them picking out the dime that you had put the mark on would be one in ten. So, okay, one in ten that they would pick out because there's ten dimes in the pot. The chance that they would pick the one with the mark would be one in ten. But the chances that these eight specific prophecies from the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus as the Messiah in the New Testament, to look at those, that 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 would happen just by chance, has been calculated as 10 to the 17th power. 10 to the 17th power. You know what that means? That means 10 with 17 zeros after it. And I think it's uh, basically one chance in 10 to the 17th power which means that there would be one chance in 1.7 septillion, I believe it is, septillion. You're familiar with that? Septillion. You think trillion's a big number. Well, it is a big number. But we're talking here septillion. So to illustrate this, those who did this study a number of years ago, to illustrate this, now they, they did this in the United States of America, and I'm going to try to import this into Canada here a little bit this morning for the sake of... Uh, so they said the chances of this happening by chance, you know, that these all, these eight, just eight, they took eight. I'm looking at more than 130 here. And I'm going to read them all to you this morning. <laughs> okay, so they said um, it'd be one chance in 10 to the 17th power. And um, so they said that would be like asking somebody to, uh, you, you take that number of coins, you take, 1.7 septillion silver dollars. They don't exist, but let's say that they did. And you covered the state of, they said they cover the state of Texas. Cover the state of Texas with silvered coins, silver dollars. Cover the entire state of Texas. You think that's a lot. They cover it again. And they cover it again until it's two feet high on the ground. And then they ask a person to go any place in the state of Texas, any place at all, and select a coin and hope to select the one that has the mark on it. And that would be something like this all happening by chance. So I said I would Canadian I would import this into Canada. So that would be that would be Joe. That would be <laughs> Texas is a big state, right, Joe? Texas is a big state. This is big stuff, right? So let's import this into Canada. So now it's the same thing. We'll cover the entire province of Ontario with these silver dollars and ask somebody to go and pick the one. Only one has a mark on it. The whole province of Ontario is covered. Only is covered one foot deep because this is approximately twice the size of Texas. Approximately. So the idea that all this happened by chance is something that must be discarded very, very quickly. And that was eight prophecies. We're talking about here, I'm just looking at 
130 plus. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it begins to talk about the seed of the woman. This is the first announcement in the Old Testament with regard to the coming of the Messiah. Coming of the Messiah. And describes the Messiah and his coming as the seed of the woman, which is a very interesting, the seed of the woman. You see, the seed of the woman. Well, that's kind of uh, something that doesn't really fit. This is fulfilled in Galatians chapter 4, verse 14, uh, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 14. Talks about the fulfillment of this very prophecy, the seed of the woman. Then, and then we come to the importance as the passage we, we read together last Sunday about uh, Matthew and the list of genealogy the ancestors of Messiah, of Jesus, and beginning with Abraham. And so the scriptures talk about Messiah as being the seed of Abraham. See, Matthew, when Matthew wrote his gospel, he wrote it largely to the Jewish people who would read it. And what Matthew did basically is he went through and he cites Old Testament prophecies and it was this was fulfilled, thus it was fulfilled. And then he talks about another Old Testament prophecy and he says, and then it was fulfilled, you see. So what he's doing is he's pointing out to the, his, to the Jewish people, his own people. He's pointing out Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And we know he is the Messiah because all the prophecies with regards to the Messiah have been fulfilled in him. So that he would be of the seed of Abraham, Genesis 12 and 3. That he would be of the seed of Isaac, Genesis 17 and 19. That he would be of the tribe, that he would be a star out of Jacob. He would come out of Jacob, Numbers chapter 24. That he would be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis chapter 49. See how, how it traces it down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Then in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, I'll ask Pat if she'll put that scripture up for us. We've Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, now we're talking about somewhere in the area of perhaps 700 years, 600, 700 years in that time frame before the birth of Jesus. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel and we know it means God with us so this only this talks about the virgin conceiving this talks about virgin birth and virgin bringing forth and says that his name will be God with us and this is fulfilled and Pat will put the scripture up for us Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. See what, see how Matt, see what he does? He goes back to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, and then he writes in his gospel, Thus it was fulfilled. What Isaiah wrote was fulfilled. So then you come to this and say, well, how did Isaiah know to write this? 
See, this is food for the inquiring mind. And with all due respect, when we um, feed our minds on these marvelous truths, we're not just reading information. We are feeding on God's words. It's not possible to feed on God's words without having the truth of those words go down and begin to work awesomely and powerfully within the spirit of the human being who is absorbing this information. That's what this does. That's what it does. And when the uh, individual who is put into, who has been taught and who has received these truths goes into an alien environment where there's doubt and skepticism on almost everything, they're not disturbed by that in the least. It's not, it's not troublesome to them at all. It's not some big burden of crisis of faith, not in the least. In fact, they have within themselves, they have this supreme, I know because I've been there, they have this supreme, superior confidence that what they have is greater than what the world has. The world is no threat to them, not in the least bit threat to them. They go on the offensive, not 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 with um, not not being impudent, you know, or nasty. But they go with confidence on the offensive, and uh, they will come out on top of these debates and discussions every time. I I know I've been there. They they will. Let's go to the um, the next one, Pat, that I've given to you. Okay, this is Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. And verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. This has to do uh, with the prophecy that has to do with the children. You remember how the King Herod put out a command that all the, ch- ch- the boys, the little boys in Bethlehem, would um, be put to death because when the wise men came from the east, and said, where is he, born king of the Jews, and so on. And the search was made where he would be born. And the uh, scribes uh, came back to the king and said he would be born in in Bethlehem. And so he had all the little babies, boys, up to the age of two years old, put to death. Because it was some time after the birth of Jesus that the wise men came. This was prophetically announced in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. And that's the prophecy that has to do with the children in this region of Bethlehem. And the fulfillment Pat will put up for us. Matthew 2 and 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet saying in Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and she would not be comforted because they are not and I don't think we should read these just kind of academically or anything I think just kind of let that sink into it a little bit just uh, I'm not saying we should put ourselves in their place I'm just saying we should really take this in this is something that is so awful. It's so so awful. It's unspeakable. Unspeakable. You can see that I'm, I'm just, 
I'm just selecting a few here. Just a few. I, w I won't uh, put this one up for you right now, but then another one in Jeremiah 31 and 22 is that he would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. The next one Pat's going to put up is from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, let me say uh, a lot of these prophets are they're, 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 they're prophecies from the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And there are prophecies from some of the minor prophets like Jose and uh, Micah. And this one is in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So this is the Lord speaking and saying, I called my son out of Egypt. So you see, you have this picture from the Old Testament of prophecies. It would be very difficult for them to um, understand all this because he would be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to be called out of Egypt. Another prophecy has to do be called a Nazarene. So where is he going to come from? You see, he's going to come out of Egypt, but he's born in Bethlehem. And he's related to, uh, called a Nazarene. So we understand how this happened now. So Pat will put the uh, scripture up, that, the fulfillment from Matthew chapter 2. Of course, Joseph had been informed in a dream that he should take the, ch the child and flee into Egypt after Jesus was born. Because the child's life, this was before the children in Bethlehem would be destroyed and killed. In Matthew 2 and 15, it says that he was there in Egypt until the death of Herod. And then Matthew writes that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That's Hosea 11 and 1. That's, that's Matthew saying, Look at what Hosea wrote, chapter 11 and verse 1. This is the fulfillment here in uh, the life of Jesus. And this happens over and over and over and over and over again. And Matthew is writing all this so that his fellow Jews would come to a, would have a foundation for believing that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. Okay, now the one have, having to do with being born in Bethlehem. We'll get you to put that one up for us, Pat. We'll just read it together. Let me read this one for you. It is um, Matthew... First of all, the prophecy is Micah chapter 5. Let me read this for you. Micah chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, this is kind of interesting because when it came time to uh, decide about the canon of Scripture, you know, canon has to do with uh, the, uh, the authenticity of the writings, the ancient writings, where they would be... Uh, would, would placed in the canon of scripture is uh, were they divinely inspired are these inspired writings or are these just written out of somebody's experience and and when it came time to decide which would be authoritative and placed in the canon of scripture as divinely inspired a prophecy and whether they were whether this prophecy in them or not is a big part of the consideration so would Micah and the, and the writings of Micah, the prophet Micah, would they be 
trustworthy enough to know are these divinely inspired and should they be in the canon of scripture of the Old Testament canon and the idea is confirmed and illuminated by passages like this chapter 5 again verse 1 it says now muster yourselves in troops daughter of troops they have laid siege against us with a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek but as for you Bethlehem Ephrathah too little to be among the clans of Judah from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel his goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child then the remainder of his brethren will turn to the sons of Israel and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth and this one will be our peace now these are written and these are messianic written by Micah the prophet and the fulfillment of that now when you read Matthew's chapter 2 it says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying and so we find again examples of that which has been written by the Old Testament prophets being confirmed in the New Testament and I have more than 130 of references ones that I will not read let me just go through randomly through a list of these having to do with the Messiah and many of these as I mentioned having to do with his birth and the circumstances surrounding his birth but not only having to do with his birth but having to do with his life and having to do with his death for example his resurrection is prophesied in Psalm 16 the fact that his hands and feet would be pierced in Psalm 22. That he would be mocked and insulted. Psalm 22. That soldiers would cast lots for his garments. Think about this. Again, Psalm 22. Even that he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41. One we've already looked at, that his name would be God with us. Even in Isaiah chapter 25, it speaks about the Messiah having to do with that his death would be swallowed up in victory. That his death would be victory. There would be victory associated with his death. This is prophesied in Isaiah 25. Isaiah also prophesied with regards to the Messiah that the deaf would hear. Did that happen in the ministry of Jesus? Yes. The blind would see that he would be referenced as the king of kings and lord of lords and that he would be the son of the highest this is all in the prophecies of Isaiah Isaiah also prophesied that he would be able to provide healing for the needy whatever the need was that he had the resources and the ability to meet those needs without regard to what they were Isaiah also prophesied with regards to him that he would be a shepherd, where a shepherd would die for his sheep. 
He also prophesied that he would be a servant and he would, he would be presented as a meek servant. So you have the Jews with, had tremendous difficulty with this idea of a, of a servant Messiah because they had the, the idea of a, a reigning Messiah, but not a servant Messiah, not a suffering Messiah, but a king on a white horse riding in and taking command. That's all true. But see, they couldn't divide and separate between his first coming and his second coming. It's also prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 52. See, Isaiah prophesied so, so much in the book of Isaiah about the Messiah. It says in the 52nd chapter that he would be rejected by the people. He would be rejected by his people that he would suffer vicariously, the idea of suffering vicariously, that he suffers not for himself but for others. And Isaiah wrote in chapter 53, that famous uh, messianic chapter 53 of Isaiah, that he would suffer vicariously, that he would be silent when he was accused, that he would be crucified with transgressors, and that he would be buried with the rich. All these, we remember how all those were fulfilled in the death of Jesus. But all this is written six and seven hundred years before he is born. Isaiah also prophesied in the 55th chapter of Isaiah that he would call the calling of those not a people and having even to do with the idea of the Gentiles being invited in and called. Calling those who are not a people. There's just so much. There's so much. Daniel, the second chapter, talks about in verses 34 and 35, talks about the stone, the coming of the Messiah, prophesying about the Messiah and describing it, his coming as a stone being cut out of a mountain without hands, supernaturally cut out and provided without hands. The timing of his coming. Of course, Daniel wrote, a great deal about the timing of the coming of Messiah. It's just so utterly marvelous and amazing. I want to read something for you. Let me open my Bible to John chapter 20. This has to do with the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll just start to read in the uh, 20th chapter of John. I'll just start to read about where Mary, Jesus, sees Mary. Mary sees Jesus. And says, Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God. And to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus 
to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. (laughs) He breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosesoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosesoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, I have to have some kind of tangible evidence here, right here, or else I will not believe. You know, when you read, and we're just touching on a few things here this morning, I can't, I can't, just to revisit the thought we uh, mentioned a little while ago about if only eight of the prophecies were to be fulfilled and how that the chances that that would happen just by chance are so it's just unbelievably remote and think of oh so many hundreds of prophecies and if all these ones that we look to and and we see how they've been fulfilled and how they've been fulfilled so precisely and exactly and we think about all those ones that have to do yet that are yet unfulfilled how much confidence should we have in the reliability of those that are yet to be fulfilled and so it says uh, Thomas would not believe until he did this and so it says and after eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas with them when Jesus came the doors being shut and he stood in the midst and said peace be unto you then saith he to Thomas reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing so let me just ask you why did Jesus say that why did he say that to Thomas see the conversation that Thomas had had was with the other disciples who had said we've seen the Lord and Thomas didn't believe them and Thomas said he would only believe the such and such and such if he could do this and this and this I got to touch. I got to see it. I got to touch it. I got to put my hand into his side. I've got to do these things. Jesus wasn't there, was he? Just take a moment and think about all the things that we say and do. And does he know? Does he know about these things? Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. Is he aware of us at all times? Yes. Right now? Yes. But we should take comfort in that, shouldn't we? But we should also be instructed by that. We should also walk very humbly with reverence before him, realizing that. But we should take comfort in that. And so it says... Jesus said to Thomas, <laughs> exactly, he, say, he said to Thomas to do exactly what Thomas said he must do in order to believe. Then Jesus said, do those things. Reach 
Hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And then I'm going to come to these verses because why do we have why do we have all this? Why do we have all this? We have the Old Testament, we look at all of these scriptures. We see how they've been fulfilled exactly in the life and ministry of Jesus. And John writes these words. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. Many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. I wonder what they wear. I wonder what these many others wear. I don't think we should speculate because we don't know. One day we will know. But he's saying there's so many, there's so much more. I, I'm overwhelmed with what we have. And he's saying there's so much more. Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But, and we'll close with this thought this morning. But all this, what jo- what John is writing, but this could be, this could be applied to the entirety of the revelation of the word, the written word, the prophecies, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the first five books of the Old Testament, major and minor prophets, songs, Psalms and Proverbs. All of this is written. The Gospels, the letters of the Apostles, Paul and Peter, John's writings all of these he said but these are written that you might believe these are written that you might believe this this is a foundation for faith foundation for belief these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that believing this you might have life through his name. You might have life through his name. Amen. That's why these are written. But they will not communicate that life to us except we read them. We read them. And this has been my experience that, you know, I, 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 uh, I think I mentioned to you last week that when I first, again going back to 1969, in my search as kind of a final, uh, as a last resort, I, I found the Bible somewhere. We had a Bible. I said we had a Bible. I remember I said to you it was in really nice shape because it wasn't used very much. But when I began to read it, and I began to read it, it didn't really minister anything to me all the time. It was parked on a shelf in our home. And it doesn't minister to us or to anyone else if it's just there 
And I mean, we're living in a time... See, I read the scriptures from my phone to you. I read the scriptures from the Bible that I have in front of me. It's just, it's so easy to reference the Word of God. We are without excuse if we would ever say we haven't read it or we don't read it. Because it doesn't impact us and it doesn't minister life to us until we read it. It is in reading it that we receive it and take it into ourselves. Not just even, you know, always just listening to sermons about it. But it's actually reading it ourselves. And so I encourage everyone, especially this time of year, to especially to read about the birth of Messiah. And while reading about realize that all of these things that we're reading about have been prophesied and predicted hundreds of years in advance and have been satisfied and fulfilled literally and exactly and precisely without error and that the chances of something like that happening by chance, random chance, is non-existent. Forget about that. It's just absolutely non-existent. Let me just forget about all these dimes, or not dimes, but silver dollars scattered over the province of Ontario. Those are just analogies that show how utterly remote that this could just happen by chance. This is ordered. This is ordained of God. This is absolute truth. And we should devote our, devote our lives to it. Having a little conversation earlier, and we were talking about Jim Tullock. As you know, Jim passed away earlier this week. I guess it was earlier this, this week eh, that he, he passed away. And all who knew Jim, of course, would immediately uh, sense that he was a, just a real genuine person and uh, a very strong Christian and a great influence, a great servant for the Lord and who was used um, in a very significant way to bring um, many, I believe, into a saving knowledge of Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. I think it might have been 1981. We had, uh, I had invited a few brothers to come and share a little bit at a supper we had here. And Jim was one of the ones I invited to come. And I'd ask each one to share maybe about 15 minutes. And just share a little bit about there was the beginning of the year. Talk a little bit about um, what they felt was a really important message for the church, for the Lord's people, for the new year. What was on their heart as something. And Jim stood right here where I'm standing now, and he shared a little bit. And one of the things he said, he talked about, he talked about um, Abraham taking Isaac. When the Lord said to sacrifice his son on one of the mountains that he would show him. And he took his son Isaac to the mountains where, of course, would be the place where Messiah, many hundreds of years later, would be crucified. And he took his son Isaac there. And Isaac uh, said, you know, where's the sacrifice? And and so on. Where's the, you know, where, and, and Abraham said to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And what Jim did when he stood here is he talked about that passage and he said, there's two, two, two ways of looking at the passage is the Lord would provide a sacrifice for himself. But he said the way it is phrased, the way it is written is the Lord will provide himself 
a sacrifice. You may remember that. Not just will he provide a sacrifice, but he will provide himself as the sacrifice. It was so wonderful, you see, because of the little, almost the play on words a little bit that he used to talk not only about what happened then when the ram was provided, caught by its horns in the thicket and so on, providing a sacrifice, but the prophetic word speaking even beyond that moment to the ultimate moment that it pictured, which was the death of Messiah, where God provided himself as the sacrifice. What a great word it was. What a great message. It was then and it is this morning. It continues to be. So we're so thankful to the Lord for Jim and for his life, for his contribution. And uh, we ask the Lord's blessing on his family. And he, of course, they will be comforted. There's no question. And they'll look forward to going and, uh, and meeting him and being with him again. Don't look for an old Jim Tullock. Look for a younger version of Jim. <laughs> That's what you'll see.